Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer Show. We're in the middle of the rut, and so uh, I look at the calendar as this show is coming to your ear. It is November 10th, and I can tell you I've personally had a lot of success over the years on November 10th, and I'm guessing many of you have as well. And uh, we are going to talk today. Our guest today is going to be C.J. Davis, our buddy from Montana Decoy. And uh, decoy might not be a bad strategy right now if you haven't filled your tag. So maybe this is going to hit you just at a time when you need it, when you need a little uh, new mojo, if you will, to make something happen. But yeah, it's the middle of the rut. It's it's um, November 10th, as I mentioned, and just a great time to be in the deer woods. And we've got the doctor, speaking of being in the deer woods, we got the doctor coming to us via phone from New York, and he has filled a tag this morning. Good morning, Air Doctor. Things are going well for you today, aren't they? Yeah, today was a pretty good day. Um, got a doe down, and we are recording this as she still lays in the woods with my tag on her ear. But I have to go back and take care of take care of her and get her hung up. So this is in real time right now. Well, it just goes to show you that nothing stops the coffee and beer show. The show must go on. That's right. <laughs> and so that's good. And um, we're going to, as I said, we're going to talk more deer hunting, specifically the doctor and I's exploits this season and archery season, uh, because obviously he has a deer down right now. I was able to fill my Pennsylvania buck tag last weekend, and we're just not going to get into that right now because the entire next show is going to be talking about our deer season to this point, what went well, what didn't. And uh, maybe even between now and that time, uh, we will uh, have additional tags filled and more things to talk about. So we're going to talk about that next show. Uh, before we get too far here, though, I want to mention our sponsor is Furminator. The Furminator.com uh, renews outdoor equipment. We've talked about the Furminator in the past, but I'm bringing it up again because uh, it has been such a great food plot tool for me. Uh, and in particular, when I get into my buck hunting story in the next show, food plots and what I was able to do thanks to the Furminator were a big part of my success. And I posted something on my personal Facebook where I went through sort of some before and afters of this property that uh, I acquired late last year and the condition it was in and the things that I've done throughout the year. And many of those photos, the before and afters are really attributable to what I was able to do with that Furminator. And so if you aren't familiar with the Furminator, it is a all-in-one food plot implement that does your disking, it does your seeding, and it does your call to packing. You can do that all in once at one time if you want to. Uh, and I have the ATV model. They have three different models. They've got a model that you can pull behind an ATV or a side-by-side. -side. They've got one that you can pull uh, with a reasonably sized tractor, and then they've got the 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 super furminator uh, that you can use behind a big tractor if you're planning bigger areas. So uh, in my case, and I think the case of a lot of people, my areas are very small and the furminator has been great for me uh, to go in and break up some of this ground that has really just been left fallow for, for decades and uh, go ahead and, and prep that soil and get it planted. And I had really good success this year. So uh, furminator has been good to the national deer association. They, have donated several of these units to us to then raffle off, which is a, a nice uh, income generator for us. And they've just been great partners. And I can personally speak to the quality of the Furminator and the equipment and the people at Renews, uh, who you will deal with, uh, the people at Renews Outdoor Equipment, if you decide you want to purchase one of these things. So uh, that's our sponsor today, the Furminator. Ask NDA anything. We didn't do this in the last show because we were saving a few up, but let's go ahead and jump into uh, a few of those for this show. And the first one uh, is coming in from Ben and Ben is coming to us from West Virginia. And this is a good question. And it's one that I had to pass on to um, uh, some of the uh, other NDA team because I am not an expert in some of these things, <laughs> actually many things, uh, but in this one in particular. And so Ben's question was, um, uh, he actually said, I had several questions, but this one in particular, he said, while processing my deer, I noticed a series of hard kidney bean-like structures in the fat of the neck 
of the deer running up each side of the esophagus. A little Google research led me to believe that they are hemal nodes and do not appear to be overly common in white-tailed deer, nor do they seem to cause any reason to be concerned about the meat. My question is, what are the hemal nodes and are there any implications to the safety and edibility of the meat? Well, that's a great question. And so I was able to get a response back and I uh, started with uh, Kip Adams and then he talked with Joe Hamilton, our founder, and very simple response, but it's a good one. First, it says, congratulations on your deer. Uh, but those hard kidney bean-like structures that you described are part of the lymphatic sy uh, system. And the lymphatic system, or think lymph nodes, helps the deer get rid of bacteria. These structures are very common in whitetails and do not pose any risk to the deer or to anyone who consumes the meat. So there you go, Ben. I hope that was helpful to you. And thank, uh, we'll thank Kip Adams and Joe Hamilton for getting that response back. Uh, a couple that are a little less technical, but hunting, hunting tactic related. And I always enjoy doing these. Uh, this is Steve in Minnesota, and his question is really simple. He said, do you feel rubber boots are necessary? And so, uh, doctor, I'll give you a chance to weigh in here too, and I'll give my quick answer. Uh, I used to believe that rubber boots were necessary, and now I am not as much in that camp. Um, I, I have seen deer track me to my stand wearing rubber boots and track me to my stand wearing not rubber boots. And so what I would say is necessary more so than what type of boot you're wearing is your entry and exit from your stand locations, uh, I think are key more than anything else. Just like playing the wind is, is more important than what you're washing yourself with or your clothes with. And so I take great care in how I approach my stands and how I leave my stands. And I think that's the number one thing. I do like to wear rubber boots because they're the best way to, to definitely keep your feet, feet dry. Um, but I can't say that I wear them 100% of the time. Doctor, what say you? Well, uh, I agree. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, I would have went with rubber boots 100%. But I have uh, switched over this year to uh, a mixture of like switching between cloth and leather. So what I will say is up to this point, I've had really good success with rubber boots for years, but my boot preparation procedures have not changed. And I think to me, that is more than more important than anything else um, other than, you know, your access route as well. Now deer are still going to cross your access route. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you really work on trying to get an access route that limited limits the number of deer crossing it all the better. But I will have to say that I still, once I come out of the woods, I make sure that my boots get dried, whether it be on a boot dryer or just air dried. Um, if the synthetic ones, the, the cloth ones, I, I pull the insole out to make sure that no bacteria grows in there. Um, I put both of them in uh, like an ozone uh, bin that I made just by, you know, buying a regular bin and putting window uh, weather stripping around it and then uh, clamping it closed and running an ozone generator in there. And then after 20 minutes, I pull them out and they are put in a bin that has both activated carbon and zeolite powder mixed in it. And the soles sit in about an inch of that. And then I take them outside because that, you know, carbon activated carbon will actually make a mess on anything that it touches. So don't walk on your rug or anything like that. I'll take them out and I'll, if I'm traveling, I will uh, have the bin in the back of the truck and those boots get put on once I get to where I'm hunting. I don't use my boots inside the vehicle where any oil or antifreeze or gas from gas stations are on my floor mat. So um, doing that, I will have to say that I've had really good luck this year and I've never had a deer uh, win me or even um, cross my track and become startled. Um, ground disturbance, they smell ground disturbance, but they didn't pick up on any human odor. And so therefore I have switched over to synthetics and leather. One thing I can guarantee you on the coffee and deer show is that you will always get a more technical answer from the doctor. Uh, <laughs> and so, and, and I know that listeners to this show, not everybody's the same. Some of you are very technical. Some of you are not. I'm the, in the very not category. And so all of that stuff that Mike just said uh, is, is going to resonate with many of you. Uh, but 
Don't listen to me, though, because I'm going to say I come in, I take my boots off, I put them downstairs. And then when I go hunting again, the next time I put my boots back on and I go hunting. <laughs> and so I do on occasion sometimes hit them with, uh, you know, with the with an ozone generator or some scent free spray. But really, um, that's that's the difference. So and we both find success. So if, do what do what works for you. But that's a really good question. I think there was a rubber boot craze there for a while, um, but maybe not as much anymore. Uh, okay, Jason from Missouri says, is NDA going to offer a digital magazine? Uh, Jason, that is a very complicated question, more complicated than you might think. Um, I will say we offer tons and tons of digital content right now. If you're getting our newsletter every Thursday, uh, there is tons of digital content there. All of our social media channels, we're putting out tons of digital content. Um, someday, yeah, I think realistically we'll have a digital magazine where we have a digital and a print magazine at the same time. I'm not sure, uh, but these are things that we are always looking at and with outdoor life and field and stream going digital, we're getting more and more of these questions because I think that's, uh, people see where things are going there. So, um, anyway, good question. Uh, Gary from Florida, this is a good one. He says, uh, I'm hunting in Illinois this week. Uh, how does a Southern boy stay warm? Uh, so coming from Florida and going to Illinois, yeah, it's going to be colder there, Gary. There's no question about it. And it's funny because I just left a hunting camp in Kentucky with Hank Forster from the NDA and Hank was coming up from uh, Georgia. Actually, I think North Carolina is where he lives, but uh, at any rate, much warmer there than it is uh, than it was in Kentucky. We hunted a couple mornings that were below freezing. And so I think that it's the same thing for everybody. It's having good quality clothing, a layering system in particular. This time of year in the Midwest, in Illinois in particular, you will get very cold mornings, but then the afternoons will not be nearly as cold. So I think a good layering system, of course, I'm going to recommend our friends at First Light. Uh, I was wearing uh, First Light exclusively on this hunt in Kentucky. And I can tell you that I had a, a layer for every situation. And, uh, and it worked really well. The other thing that I've found that works well for me, and even, I'm, I'm a Northern boy, and so I'm used to the cold, is I got one of these electronic hand warmers instead of buying the ones that you always have to open and then throw away uh, from Zippo. And so I keep that thing in my pocket and uh, move it back and forth as necessary. And that works really well. It works for several, several hours and you don't have the waste. And so that's something I think that can help you as well. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Mike, but uh, that's that's my recommendation. You have a couple of recommendations. I mean, first and foremost, it still is based off of, you know, survival experts where you don't want to get yourself wet. So when you're walking into your stand, I always go in dressed, un underdressed or dressed very light. And I even keep my um, my bald head exposed to help me, you know, cool down much more rapidly. Now, once I get on stand, I start to gradually layer. I don't just get there, okay, I'm here, and then layer up and put everything on because your core temperature is still a little high. And so you want to just, as you stay, you know, as you start to feel a potential chill, then you add your next layer. And that, you know, you kind of just gradually work through it that way. If you're from Florida and you're really struggling in colder weather, I'd say two things other than obviously keeping your head covered. But, um, Adhesive body warmers, put them over your kidneys. Uh, all the blood circulates through our body, uh, specifically through the kidneys, and the kidneys are really easy and close to the surface on your low back. So putting adhesive body warmers there, one on each kidney on either side of your spine, uh, will help um, warm you as well. And maybe putting one right over your, like right in between, um, on your sternum, like right in between around the upper part of your chest is another place that... Um, you know, would help you feel warmer and help your core temperature stay up. And then lastly, I would actually look into any um, company that would sell some type of a wind stopper material in their coat. I'd make sure they'd have that because um, sometimes the wind's really howling. It does cut through layers, even if you are layered up a little bit. So um, like a wind stopper material, or if you don't have one, I mean, truthfully, just slap a raincoat on the outside or something that's, you know, water resistant or waterproof that will break the wind it's a real cheap way to go but um you cut the wind you'll feel a lot warmer yes and there are certainly hills and wind and all that in illinois where you're headed and so uh, uh good luck with that and yeah you're you're going to a great place to hunt deer gary so so hopefully you'll get back to us with some good stories 
Uh, last one, and this is going to be the one that's going to go ahead and get an NDA hat as our winner. This comes from Hunter, which is a great name for a Hunter. Hunter from Tennessee says, are you guys going to come out with B-team T-shirts? Um, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things we're finding, Mike, is you and I are very open about our failures in the deer woods. And that's why we, we came up with the B-team in the first place. Uh, we fail more than we win. And I think a lot of people will fall into that same category. So it's resonated some. And so, yeah, uh, are you guys going to come out with B-team t-shirts? Uh, I don't know. You know, that's that's something we'll have to think about, Mike, and uh, maybe maybe come back to him with that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I, I totally B-teamed it this morning. I mean, I know we're going to talk about our hunt, but I, I mean, I'll talk about the, the B-team moment here is that I walked out and the wind was wrong based on all the apps that I was checking as I got to my tree. So I wound up moving locations and I had to pick a, a place where the wind was blowing just right. And as you know, you mentioned earlier, it worked out perfectly. I mean, the deer were the, the doe that I shot, she was at 20 yards and they never had a clue as the wind blew past them parallel, but I had to make that move. Well, I was halfway up the tree this morning and I get to a dead limb and I just snap it right off and I put my next stick on and I get to the next limb and I grab it and it breaks off. I'm like, is this tree dead? So I go the whole way back down, root through my bag, find my bow hanger, slam it in the tree at the base of the tree and start screwing it in to make sure the cambium layer is green and that tree's alive. It wasn't. I had to pull all my stuff down, move another 10 yards and find a tree and get up in it. And I was much later than I wanted to be this morning, but it still worked out. But there's your BT moment. <laughs> yeah. Don't climb, don't climb dead trees, please folks. And more importantly, if you do realize you're doing that, do what the doctor did and take a little extra time and get out of it. I had a recent B team moment too. I'll share quickly before we get into our interview. Um, I was in a new spot on a farm I've, this farm. I've hunted many, many times, but I went to a new spot. And what I always do when I get to a new spot is I want to range different things around me so that I have an idea of, of my shooting distance. And so I get all set up and it's just, just starting to come light and I'm like, okay, I can start ranging some stuff. And I reach in to pull out my range finder and down it goes to the base of the tree. And so <laughs> Uh, there it was. And so I was like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to look around here and see every spot that I know is within 25 yards and I'm not shooting anything outside of that. And so anyway, that was my most recent B team moment, many more to come for sure. So with that, thank you again for the ask NDA, anything questions, please send us more of them. This is a fun part of the show. We enjoy doing it. They can be serious. They can be not serious. Uh, but let's have some fun with it for sure. So with that, let's go ahead and start talking decoys. Uh, Mike, you and I have had varying success with decoys over the years. You're a little more experienced than I am, but uh, I've, I've seen the magic that they can work. And no better than nobody better than CJ Davis from Montana Decoy to come in and talk to us about hunting with decoys and a little bit about Montana decoys, which offer a real versatile option to hunters out there. And uh, yeah, I think this is a good one and it's timely and let's jump into it. It's my pleasure to bring into the Coffee and Deer show today, CJ Davis. He is the president of Montana Decoy. He's well known in the outdoor industry, a big time hunter. And he's also had some stints with National Wild Turkey Federation and QDMA, which is now the National Deer Association. And I've known uh, CJ for a little while now. Uh, CJ, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in person for, <laughs> like most people, like two years now. I it's think been it, a while. It's been a while. I think it was a couple ATA shows ago is the last time you and I chatted in person. But it's good to see you and thank you for agreeing to be on the show this morning. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we're going to get into, for sure hunting with decoys, which you're expert on clearly. And I think it's one of those areas that people have so many questions about. And even myself, I have a little bit of experience. The doctor there has more experience than me. Matter of fact, I think most of what I learned, I probably learned from him on this topic. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I, um, 
as you correctly stated, I did do a stint at the NWTF, and then uh, I've also done one at um, what was then QDMA, but um, in between those two, I also worked at Mossy Oak. So I've had a, a been very fortunate in some of the places I've got to work and be a part of, and a lot of the people I've met. Um, and after the QDMA, I worked for an advertising agency for a while, and uh, I really enjoyed that because I got to put my hands on a lot of different projects with a lot of different companies in the outdoor space. Uh, worked for a guy named Greg Chevalier, and I feel like he was one of those mentors in your life that you just really learned a lot from. Not so, um, just as much about business as well as how to conduct yourself when you're doing it. So um, I always looked up to him and appreciate all the time he spent teaching me because I certainly had a lot to learn. And one of my clients during that time was Montana Decoy. That was when Jerry McPherson had started it. He was still running it. Uh, and we got to be buddies. I kind of knew him a little bit before and he broached the idea of he wanted to sell it. So long story short, I end up as the president of Montana decoy, which is a fancy way of saying, I do all the things Jerry doesn't want to do anymore. And Jerry goes <laughs> hunting all the time is what I think happened, but he'd probably disagree with me, but I've been doing this since, uh, 2012. And I hesitate to call myself an expert on anything. Um, cause turkeys, deer, anything that you want to try to decoy, sometimes they can easily make a fool out of you more times than not. But it sure has been a whole lot of fun doing this. And I love the people I've met and the stuff I've got to do. Well, yeah, that's true. It, anything outdoors. So all of us here, we all have gray in our, in our goatees. And <laughs> at least you still have hair, CJ, which is more than I can say for the doctor and I. But with all of this. Not much, though. Not much. Well, that's true. <laughs> Between the three of us, we probably have about a hundred years worth of experience. And, and the thing is, yeah, you can't be expert in any of this stuff. And one thing that might work one time isn't going to work the next time. And that's what makes it fun. I think uh, just never knowing exactly what you're going to see or what's going to happen. And speaking of which, knowing that you're a big time hunter, how are things going for you so far this season? It's been interesting. I, um, as you know, I live here in South Carolina, which is not a big buck capital on anyone's radar. Um, but we do have a pretty decent deer population. Like a lot of places, it's it's declined some. Um, our turkeys are hurting way more than our deer. But my season has been good. Um, my 12-year-old son killed a deer the other afternoon. Uh, I've had a couple of buddies come in. One of them got a deer. Um, so it's been great. I've seen a decent amount of deer for this time of year in my part of the world, but I have yet to, uh, I've yet to let an arrow go. I, I drew on one the other day, but I talked myself out of it. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't have that rush, if I really got to take this shot, then you probably shouldn't shoot the deer. So it's been an interesting season though. Yeah. How about you? Certainly wise advice. Uh, it's going okay. Um, I've, I've filled three antlerless tags, which isn't too bad, I guess. And two in one evening, which was a first for me with a bow anyway. And so, nice. uh, yeah, yeah. Last weekend I had a, had a good evening. It was one of those things where the weather was just perfect and the wind was perfect. And I had some, uh, deer that weren't, I hadn't hunted really hunted in that area. So the deer weren't very educated. So, um, that that's, that's usually what it takes for me to, <laughs> to have much success. And then, uh, the doctor helped me there with taking some pictures and doing retrieval. So, uh, but it's, it's not going bad. Yeah. I, I haven't seen, Oh, as when folks would be listening to this show, it'll be early November, but we uh, haven't seen a ton of buck activity, especially any kind of daylight activity just yet in this part of the world. And you're talking about states that don't have really big buck pedigrees. We share that with you being here in Pennsylvania. So, uh, but uh, we got some older deer around. We're excited to chase, but uh, that's how it's going for me. Uh, the, the doctor, he, uh, Mike, do you want to give your, your brief update there? My brief update is just that it is brief. I <laughs> took my, my recurve for a scout slash stock hunt and, um, got a doe, as I said before, in the last podcast within 10 yards, and that turned out unsuccessful. So if you haven't listened to that story, you're more than welcome to go back and listen to that one. Um, and then I hunted one other evening and passed up a two and a half year old eight point and, uh, a mature doe, but, um, it's been a busy fall for me. It seems like every year I tell myself this is going to be the fall. I have a, much, uh, a lot more time to hunt and things just continue to stack up, but I have put vacation days on the calendar now. So once that happens, it's usually a, a switch that flips for me and I get really serious. 
Yep. So we're we're just Doc, still- you and I need to get Nick to shooting a recurve then, don't we? <laughs> well, he he does own a longbow. So I guess you still own that longbow, don't you? Well, that just what you said right there, I think just that explains the whole thing. You don't even know if I still have it, which shows you <laughs> that I have not gotten it out very much. But yes, I still do have it that hangs on the wall in my in my hunting room downstairs. <laughs> Hey, I, I respect the heck out of you guys that do that. Um, I did when I first got that long, but I had it custom made uh, by a fellow here and uh, I like it a lot. And I was, I was just getting into shooting it quite a bit. And I think that was around the time that I started moving around for my career and not that that's any excuse. And so I just have not taken the time necessary to spend with that thing, but I really enjoy the instinctual shooting and uh, to both of your points, yeah, I really, I really need to reacquaint myself with that. So CJ, go ahead and, and jump in here since we're on the topic of traditional archery before we jump into talking about decoy and decoy use, but uh, talk about your traditional rig. What's your setup? What do you use? Like a lot of folks that shoot traditional, uh, I have a bunch of different bows, but my go-to and for the last six or eight years has uh, been a Hoyt Buffalo. Um, I also like those bear takedowns. I've shot those a good bit too, and they're great bows, but probably the one I've hunted with most over the last, I don't know, eight or so years has been a Hoyt Buffalo. I shoot a Easton Axis Traditional, and um, I think it's 400 spine on that one, and then uh, I shoot a Wasp Sharpshooter 150 grain broadhead that I've had a lot of luck with. Uh, and I haven't changed my setup very much over the years. That's kind of been my arrow and broadhead combination. No matter what bow I pick up, it just seems to work for me at my draw length and draw weight very well. I applaud you at for that. At least when I do my part anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, I applaud you for that because I tend to be a tinker and I don't, I don't think for yeah. many, there was a time when I did shoot a particular broadhead and arrow for several years in a row. And then I, decided to switch it and i've never settled in on anything since but i think when you're shooting traditional in particular that bow's not changing a whole lot and so you're you're shooting something i think that makes you comfortable and that you know you can rely on and it sounds like that's what you've been doing yeah i'm definitely the weak link in that whole operation of the bow the arrow and everything else <laughs> well that goes for you all of must, us you uh you said earlier that you enjoyed shooting instinctive i like to call mine distinctive <laughs> it's, it's any day it can be different. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, hey, I want to ask you, we're going to get into tactics here with uh, hunting whitetails with decoys. But tell us, before we do that, I want people to understand, because I imagine you'll, you may reference some of your different decoys. Tell us about uh, Montana decoy, which has been around for, for quite a while now, more than 20 years. And, um, what makes them unique? What makes them better than some of the alternatives? I have my own thoughts on that, but I want to hear it from the president's mouth. So Montana decoy was founded by Jerry McPherson. Uh, he started this in the early mid nineties and he was elk hunting cause he lives in Montana, obviously. And he kept having encounters with elk, but he was in a fairly open area and he could call them so close and then they would just hang up. And so he, he just wished he had something visual to complete the, you know, the ruse of the calling. And so he was walking back to his truck and he thought back then everybody had those twist fold um, visor screens or whatever to go over in the windshield of your truck or car to keep the dash from getting so hot. And he thought if he could create one of those that like an elk decoy, it would, uh, it would suit his needs, which are realistic and portable. So it's always been about photorealism to us, and it's always been about something that's easily portable. So all of our decoys, even the 3D turkey ones that we make, they all fold down. So, you know, you can put them in your vest or your pack and, you know, you can carry them on hunts and you may not pull them out every day, but you've got them there with you. And they are built off of photos of actual wild animals. We have to adjust those photos a little bit to count for the leg poles going in, but it's an actual deer, an actual elk. Um, that we built the decoy off of. Um, and so they're just easy, portable, photorealism. Those are kind of our, our hallmarks. And of course, lightweight, because uh, they're built out of fabric with a metal band inside of them. I think that's one of the things that deterred me as an early decoy user when I was first trying them was just noise and heaviness 
and just they're very cumbersome like a traditional decoy and i think that's one of the things that to me made montana decoys so attractive is you eliminate all of that right off the bat because they're so portable and i gotta i gotta throw it over to the doctor here cj because uh he's gonna tell us about the first deer that he decoyed in and it happened to be with a what mike it was with a montana decoy it was with their original doe decoy and to be honest with you it was the first buck that i shot in new york with with a bow i decoyed that in and the surprising thing was and the one thing that hooked me that really made me look at decoys as a viable hunting strategy was just the way that that buck reacted to that doe now it was pre-rut and leading into that rut phase and i had the doe out thinking that would it would stimulate a breeding response but it wound up eliciting a territorial type of response that buck came in ears pinned back bristled up sidestepping toward that doe and i, I wound up shooting him out of self-defense so that he wouldn't ruin that decoy <laughs> so um that was my first experience and i've actually killed two deer over montana decoy does say the exact same one i've had really good luck with it and then i did move on to 3d or like full-size uh deer decoys as well but i've always had good success and nick you and i know that or you both uh, we both know that i actually because i filmed at the time really broke down and looked at all of those interactions and came up with a very consistent setup that would work that would always give us the shot that we were looking for well, there you have it. We have some, interesting. Yeah. Real life testimonial here. Uh, and so CJ, let's jump right into it. And it, at the end of this, we'll get into some of the different decoys that you have, but I want to get into some of the tactics here. Uh, as we're, as this is out on the airwaves and people are listening, it's peak rut. I mean, it's happening right now. Actually, hopefully if you're listening to this, you're on your way to the stand or on the way home and not listening to it while you're in the stand. Um, what uh, is is peak rut a great time to use a decoy and if not when is the best time to use one and maybe it's all the time so you're the expert here tell us i feel like and you know we're all victims of our own experience but i personally have had more luck with right before the peak rut that's probably been my best decoying phase if you will um, and obviously I do a, a lot of hunting in South Carolina, so we don't get the super intense ruts that you do in a lot of places, but I do get to travel some. And that, that seems to hold true for me is that just before the peak rut and I tend to, I tend to like doe decoys. If I can only do one, sometimes I'll do a setup where I'll have a, a buck decoy, like our freshman and our dreamy doe, you can actually put it in a bedded pose or a standing pose. And I like to put it in a bedded pose. And sometimes I'll do that just on its own, but definitely it's for me, it's the pre-rut. There's no doubt that they're effective any time of the year. And I'll use them late season uh, in like feeding areas and stuff like that. But I think what I do differently than what a lot of the more popular media you see is I don't think of shooting the deer as it's standing by the decoy because the reason Montana decoys appeal to me are I'm kind of a minimalist. I don't like carrying a whole lot of stuff in so I can take that decoy in and I want to sit it somewhere that the deer has to pass by me giving me the shot before it gets into like that critical phase of getting around that decoy. I can't, I can't really seem to eliminate all the human scent from the ground around. It may be the humidity in my area that affects it. I don't know really what it is, but I don't, I've never been able to excel at eliminating odor completely. So my, my setups are always based on, you know, trying to draw the deer past. It's almost like I want to influence his travel pattern. And it, it gets a little dicey because I am shooting a traditional bow. So I really want them 15 yards is where I want them to make my shot. So I'm always thinking about where do I think the deer are going to come from? Where do I need them to go? And where can I put that decoy that will achieve that result? I hunted uh, behind my house here yesterday afternoon, and I have a, it's a really, for my part of the world, a steep white oak heel top. Uh, it kind of looks like something you might see in your part of the world, Pennsylvania to me, but the paved road, public road is not very far from it, but I'll just walk the public road and then walk straight up the hill, which is the steepest side of it. And then I kind of pop up and there's a little flat on top of that thing. So I put the decoy 
slightly over the rise. So a deer that's walking, let's say, 100 yards or 75 yards out in that white oak flat, he's probably not looking at the decoy, but I'm probably overconfident in my calling ability, which that applies to turkeys too. But <laughs> I feel like I can call and get his attention. And then when he comes close enough to see that decoy, it's kind of like furthering a positive response to him. And I'm drawing him to a, a certain point where, again, I can get that shot because I, I know they can lock in on the sound I'm making. And as he gets closer, if he doesn't see something, I think that throws up a red flag. But if he commits and comes a little bit, that tells me he's in the right state of mind. And then he, you know, hopefully gets reinforced by having that decoy. But my sense is blowing almost towards the decoy because it's slightly behind me and off to the side, the way that heel works out. It's kind of hard to explain it, but if he commits to coming into the calling and then he gets the visual reference of the decoy, then I kind of know the travel patterns of where those deer usually come from in that area. And that's a big part of it too. Then I feel like I have a really good chance of pulling him into my range. Cause you know, a lot of times I've called the deer or I've been in spots, I'm sure you guys have too, and they're just outside of your effective range. It doesn't really matter if that's with a stick bow and you're only shooting 15 yards or a compound and you're good to 40. You know, if he's 50 and you're only comfortable to 40, he's out of the game. So that decoy just kind of the little cherry on top of whatever your setup is. But the other thing I tell people when we're doing trade shows or, you know, emails or questions we get all the time, you know, I get asked, do you use a decoy all the time? And the answer to that is no. If I'm going somewhere, and I feel like I have a really good handle on the deer travel patterns. If it's a really tight funnel situation, I feel like introducing a decoy into that is really, you're just adding variables that can go wrong for you. You know, you're introducing more scent when you set up the decoy, you're making more movement, all these kind of things. So it, it really is dependent on the situation, but I'm not a stick it out in the middle of the food plot and go back 30 yards and climb a tree. I try to put more thought process into it than that. Well, CJ, you mentioned something there that I want to tease out a little bit more because it's something that I realize, but I think we need to actually just air this information. I want to hear your opinion first. So you mentioned calling and your decoy. So is there anything specifically when you talk about calling that you've learned when you're using your decoy? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's, there's no, this is the exact grunt I do. I haven't drilled it down to that level yet, but I generally, I generally start with doe bleats and then buck grunts. Uh, again, where I'm hunting my part of the world, I don't have the success rattling that I do in other parts of the world. Um, and I, I feel like we could all agree 100% if you're hunting an area that has very little to no hunting pressure, everything works better. It doesn't matter if it's your grunt call or your, decoy or whatever it is you're doing it just it just seems more effective you just get away with more whatever you want to call it but if you're hunting an area that has been hunted i feel like all even if it's just by you all of those air all of those tools become slightly less effective because the deer are just on hyper alert or super spooky or whatever but my my calling scenario is generally doe bleach grunts and then i do rattle and i have had some success around here but I don't have as high hopes with, I'm not overconfident with that, I should say. Because the one thing that I wanted to talk about, and, and uh, you can either agree or disagree with me, but what, at least in Pennsylvania, under areas of high hunting pressure, and a lot of times I'm putting these decoys in thick cover, what I found that is if I had a doe decoy out, and I actually would either call like a doe initially to get the deer's attention or grunt, what I found is at least with these subordinate bucks, it would make them ridiculously nervous to come in to see that doe, hear the buck, but never see the buck because they were always afraid of getting ambushed. So when I have a doe out, I only call like a doe. If I have a buck and doe combination out, then I'll call like both. Have you, have you experienced that in the past? I agree with you hundred percent on that. And I, I guess I should have explained it better. If I've got a buck that I want to call closer and all I've got is a doe decoy, I'm bleeding. But if that doesn't change his course, then I'm going to try the grunting because I feel like I've got nothing to lose. But if he, you know, it's like when you're turkey hunting, if the gobbler's walking towards you, quit calling. So if that doe bleed hooks him and he's coming in, then I'm going to stop, then I'm going to stop calling unless I feel like I have to. But another thing you said there about putting them in thicker cover, I like that a lot too. 
And a lot of people that I talk to are in their mind, you know, our consumers, it's just an open food plot or an open field. That's where the decoy works best. And it can be seen a lot farther. So you can draw in deer from farther distance using the decoy, but I like using it in the woods. I'm hunting, you know, I try to find a, a open area. Hopefully it's some white oaks dropping and then there's a edge with a thicket or something like that, just a natural travel corridor. But I don't mind putting decoys in the woods. I don't want a deer to suddenly see it at 10 yards. I want them to see it at 30 or 40 yards or 50 or whatever. I don't like it when they round the corner and boom, there's a deer they didn't know was there. I think that kind of puts them into hyper alert mode too. But I, I definitely agree with what you said about the calling. Well, I, I think, you know, that's another point that everyone needs to understand because people will say, well, I used a decoy and it just didn't work. But your comment about um, surprising them, that's one thing that we never did because if you actually have a deer, like let's just say turn the corner around a large bush and then there's your decoy there. If they didn't hear it, they didn't smell it. It's going to lock them up. They're going to stop dead in their tracks and it potentially might make them nervous. So you want to at least, like you said, knowing where the deer travel patterns are and play to that. So there's a lot of things that goes into hunting with a decoy and having success with it. So you just don't throw your hands up and say, oh, I can't believe I, I lost a room. my only chance at a deer this season. A lot of times you need to look back on it. And I think that's what filming did for us is we could look back and say what went wrong and then analyze why it went wrong. And if you can eliminate a lot of those things, all of a sudden your success rate re really begins to creep up in my opinion. I agree with you. And it, it's a lot about, you know, picking the right time in the right place to use it. Not everywhere is conducive for it. So as you learn more about how the deer react to it and how they interact with it, you just get naturally better at picking those places, just like you've gotten naturally better at where you hang your stands and how you shoot your bow and all that. It's always a, a learning process too. And there's so much about you know, how deer see, how they interact that we don't fully understand yet, which is part of the fun of it. But, you know, we're constantly learning and trying new things. And you're, you're absolutely right about all that. So one thing that I'm very aware of here is that that was the best 10 minutes of the podcast and I had nothing to do with it. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a saying that I like, that I like to use a lot that I say addition by subtraction. And so <laughs> Uh, sometimes we add value to the show, the less I talk, but that, that was outstanding, um, CJ, because you, you jumped to, uh, between you and the doctor there, jumped through a number of the questions that I was going to ask. And, uh, I think those are the questions that a lot of hunters, uh, have as well. So, uh, excellent, excellent content there. Appreciate that. Uh, and I'm going to take it a, a slightly different direction now, uh, a little bit more to storytelling. So tell us about uh, you, it could be two if you have more than one, but your most memorable experience you had with decoying and you don't have to, wouldn't have had to necessarily harvest a deer on one of these, but just your most memorable experience decoying. My most memorable was probably an elk, but my uh, most memorable deer was back before I was affiliated with Montana decoy at all. And I'm, pretty sure it was back before he was a client of mine, but I was hunting here in South Carolina and I was hunting just this little weird transition zone that a little finger of hardwood trees had been left and there were pines that probably had been thinned once and there was kind of like a natural lane through them. One set of pines was slightly older than the other, so it kind of forms an L shape and I'm on the small end of the L, which is the hardwood finger and it's up on top of a hill. And I had uh, a dreamy doe out and I had her facing directly away from me, slightly at an angle, but almost up under me within 10 yards. And this was back when I was still hunting a lot with the compound and kind of what doc was saying, I had this buck come out and it's not like in your mind, you think he sees a doe, he's going to jog up there and see if she's receptive, what kind of mood she's in. But he walks out and it's like, and he was a two year old, a point and he bristles up. And he's just, I mean, he just gave the whole show. He stopped four times to make a scrape and he's coming, you know, just slowly working his way down there. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the decoy. He's got a good angle on it and he comes up behind it. And obviously the dreamy doe is a two dimensional decoy. So he gets behind it and it's like, in my mind to him, <laughs> it disappears. So he hops back 10 yards and he's like looking left and right for a second. And then he sees the decoy and he's like, Oh, okay, there you are. 
he does that like four times right there in front of me. And finally, he just was like, I can't figure this girl out. She ain't moving, you know, doesn't quite smell normal around here. I think I'm just going to ease off. But he obviously gave me plenty of time to, to take a shot if I wanted to. And he just finally, you know, eased off through the woods. He wasn't really spooked. So from a whitetail standpoint, to have that happen to me in South Carolina way back then uh, was kind of like a learning curve accelerator. It was, you know, there's something to this. Obviously, I need to learn more about it. But that was just a really cool interaction. And I think we get to a point, everybody does, where it's like you want to get more out of the same. So, you know, you can go take a rifle and shoot a deer, but then you want to shoot one with a crossbow. Then you want to shoot one with a compound. Then you want to shoot one with a stick bow. Whatever your personal journey is. And I think adding decoys to it for me at that time was just a new tool and a new tactic. And it kind of was fun to do and play with. Now, the elk, I had just wanted to kill an elk with a stick bow for, I think, most of my life is what it felt like. And I just was one of those mornings where I just made all the right decisions. I put the decoy in the right place, actually moved in front of the decoy, called at the decoy, moved in front of the decoy. And the the elk just followed the script perfectly and gave me a 15-yard broadside shot going straight to the decoy. So that was just like a personal goal for me and doing everything right, which is not usually what I do. My ADD does not help me in the tree stand or the elk woods often. Yeah, that's just something else you have in common with the doctor there. But uh, I, uh, it, I couldn't help but think when you were des- describing the situation where that young buck was couldn't figure out that uh, doe decoy, it just felt like you were describing my youth there for a second. But uh, anyway... <laughs> So something maybe we all can relate to, or maybe it's just me. I don't know, but, uh, that was, uh, that was a great story. I love that. I love, I love the stories. It seems like, uh, the stories where you don't end up actually shooting something, but you see something really cool tend to be the ones that uh, want to stand out for me as well. So uh, I appreciate you sharing those. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've had some uh, decent success with, with decoying myself, but nothing like that really, I mean, they're more traditional buck sees the decoy, buck kind of comes in, um, kind of thing, real basic. Um, Mike, do you want to add any of your stories? Cause you've had, you've had quite a bit of decoying experience and some of which I've seen on film. Well, I think I'm going to skip over mine just right now, because I do want to actually ask CJ a couple more questions that I, I think we, the, the listener needs to exactly hear. So CJ, if you could give me your ideal or optimum decoy setup, I need you to be very descriptive for, let's say for someone that has never used decoys before, because when someone that's experienced it quite a bit, like you or I have, or even Nick, we go out there, we know what we're looking for, we get it set up in relationship to our stand. Can you actually talk everyone through that? Just because I think we've left that information on the table that it needs to be discussed. So... I'll give you a two-part answer for that one. Let's let's take one with a field or a food plot, and then I'll do one in the woods that I like. Um, so the food plot scenario, you know, if you know the exact trail the deer is coming out on, and you've got to stand within 25 yards of it, you don't really need anything else. But if you've got a large food plot, uh, you know, some ag fields or just a big food plot, you know, you kind of have to direct their movement a little bit if they're coming out in different places on the food plot or you don't really know what they're doing. And again, you know, the first thing I want to know is what's the wind doing? And then I want to, you know, at least give my best guess of where the deer are coming from. And, you know, that's sometimes it is a straight up guess, but, you know, with all the tools we have at our disposal now, you can kind of look and see, all right, well, that looks like a bedding area. This looks like a natural travel corridor. So I expect they're going to come out over here. And again, the one thing, I have killed the deer successfully with a lot of mess ups on my part, but I've never killed one that winded me. Once they win you or your scent you left on something, to me it's over. So that's the one that I'm always going to take the most concern and time with. So if if I've got my stand on a food plot, I've got the wind in my face, I kind of know that the deer are going to come out, let's say off and to the right of where I'm sitting, I'm going to put that decoy off and to the left because I want to get the shot before it gets to me. Now, what my weapon of choice is going to be is going to be, you know, determined by how far that decoy is from me or what it's in relation to me. And that old wives tale of, you know, the buck's going to go to a doe, going to go to the rear of a doe and going to go to the front of a buck. That always seems to hold very true for me. So I, you know, I, I set my doe up based on that. And even to the point of 
if that buck comes from over here to the right and he's coming in, he may be coming in at a quartering angle. So I, I try to line my decoy up. So as he starts to, you know, make that turn to get downwind of her and scent checker, that's where I'm going to have my shot. And also I'm thinking about what's behind me. You know, if, if there's a impasse behind me, if it's a steep drop off a creek bottom or something that he may not want to walk through, that's a plus too. Most of the time I find you have to work with what you have in a particular spot, unless you have a property that you can really manage infinitely to set it up to do a specific thing. So you're, there's always some weak link in your setup and you just hope you've maximized the other things that offset that. Now for in the woods, again, we're a 2D, currently a 2D deer, deer decoy company. So I'm thinking about, again, travel corridors, but I'll use bigger trees. Like I may face the decoy to a tree right in front of it. So if something gets in front or behind of it, it doesn't have that disappearing effect. It's like the trees blocking it. So I'm trying to use that. And at times that decoy is really close to me when I'm in the woods. I'm talking up under me in the woods because that's usually where it's more difficult to predict the deer uh, exact travel patterns. And again, you've heard me say it two or three times already, but if I know exactly where the deer are gonna come from or by, I'm probably not putting a decoy there, but most of the time there's always variability or I'm not certain of it. Bedding areas change and timber changes and all that stuff. So I want the decoy really close to me in the woods, not just because of my limited range with the recurve, but also because I'm not 100% sure where those deer are coming from. And I want them to come close to me get me a give me a shot before they get right up to that decoy and the only way i can do that is by putting it under me so again you know the wind i'm trying to factor all that scenario in but like the where i was telling you about i hunted yesterday afternoon behind my house to me that was just as close to an ideal setup as i could get with that steep hillside i know from past hunting in that area those deer don't typically come up and down that steep hillside they walk perpendicular to it but where they walk perpendicular to it is a big oak flat. So again, it's up on top of a knob. They can be 10 yards in front of me and the decoy wouldn't have mattered, or they can be 75 yards in front of me and they might as well have been 200 yards away if I don't, I'm not able to call them or decoy them in. And then that hill behind me, you know, in my mind, the calling, they know they can't see because there's a drop off. So they have to come closer and then they get to that certain level where they can see the decoy, which is still, farther away than my range, it just reassures them and draws them up close to where they're going to kind of take the high side and look at it, realize what it is. And then the doe that I had out circle to get downwind of it. So that would give me a 10 to 12 yard shot in my mind. So those are kind of my two, you know, I'm looking for an area that deer moving is somewhat predictable, either based on past experience or what I'm looking at on uh, mapping software or whatever. And then something that limits their, natural travel you know if it's just a drop off or something and then using the wind in my favor putting the decoy where ideally they will be upwind of me and going to get downwind of the decoy to sit check it when i have the shot sorry Perfect. for rambling that's, no no that's not rambling and and i'll tell you the listener out there is that if if that just kind of floors you just for a second i'd say two things number one go back listen to it one more time and or when you have some time, get out in the field and then just try and replay that scenario in your head. Because what CJ was explaining there is something I agree with wholeheartedly is the fact that with decoys, you can steer deer to a location to optimize your shot opportunity. And I like that for traditional archers, archers in general, but it's also a very good tool when you're bringing out young people. Like for example, when I took my, my son out and I got him into bow hunting, I would use a decoy and I could almost, I shouldn't use the word guarantee, but I would, would have with increased confidence to tell him your shot's going to come right here. And I could make that shot by positioning the decoy, setting up the right scenario to give him a shot that's within his effective range and try and maximize that opportunity. So I'm glad you actually went into that detail, but um, for the listener, please don't be overwhelmed by that. It's just something that when you do it enough, it will be almost intuitive. Wow. Yes. Good point. Good Great point. stuff. Great stuff, guys. Definitely. Um, and it's always funny. I'll pick out more of this when we get back and edit. I'll, I always learn more when I listen back through it the second time and even the third time. So outstanding. Uh, CJ, at this point, I want to ask you, uh, where can people go 
to buy a Montana decoy. And if somebody was just starting out, not used to decoying, what would you recommend for them? So we're a, a dealer-based uh, manufacturer. Uh, you can still find us in most of your pro shops, most of the big box stores. We do sell directly from our website, montanadecoy.com. Um, and we have you know videos and more information on there as well. And for someone starting out, you know, it's hard to, in my opinion, to go wrong with a doe decoy. It's just less threatening. And it also depends on, you know, if you're looking for an older age buck, that may change it. But I'm a big fan of our uh, newest decoy. That's Trixie is the name we gave her. And we kind of, I'd love to tell you that we knew exactly what we were doing, but it's supposed we stumbled across on a photo that we just, just had something about it that we really liked. I don't know what it was. And it seems to have a a calming effect and I've had more positive encounters with her in South Carolina and Alabama and other states that you know definitely in the southern belt more so than I've had with other decoys and I don't know I equate it to maybe the head ear positioning or something but it just seems like it's a really unobtrusive decoy if that if I can use that word with it so that would probably be the one that I would pick and it's definitely got you know as we've developed more and more decoys we've got better at our printing and our photos and higher res and all that kind of stuff so it's definitely got a great look to it um and like all of them it's portable it's quiet you know you can set it up just spend a little time watch the video you know to make sure you can fold it up because there's nothing more frustrating than if the first time you try to fold up the decoy is in the woods in the dark and you're trying to pack up and come <laughs> home so just do it a time or two in your yard make sure you've got that figured out but and we make another thing that's kind of unique about us is we don't have just one decoy. You know, we've got four or five different deer decoys. We've got a lot of different poses and we like to say that all of them are purpose built. So that Trixie is purpose built in our mind um, because it is a calming pose. It's kind of a reassuring thing, but it's a doe. So if it's pre-rut or rut, that just being a doe has an attracting factor, but that's a decoy that I feel like you could use early and late in the season as sort of a confidence decoy. You know, if you're hunting an ag field and deer coming out on one side and you've got your decoy on the other, it's kind of a reassuring thing to them that there's there's already deer out there. It's safe uh, coming in. Our freshman buck, he was purpose built because he has an attitude, uh, you know, with the forehead forward, nose down, ears laid back. He has that aggressive buck attitude of an older buck, but his body is really slim and trim so he's like a two-year-old that's being super aggressive again we're trying to sell a message to a deer that this is a small deer you could easily dominate him but yet he's being aggressive and i know i'm i'm, I'm putting people thoughts in deer brains and that's a dangerous road to go down but that's <laughs> kind of how we approach all our decoys they're all purpose built and i was going to say something fancier than people thoughts in deer brains but i can't remember what that word is for that is it anthropomorphism or something yeah, it is. But I was actually thinking that's a great t-shirt. People thoughts and deer's brains. I think I would like a t-shirt that said that. <laughs> so put that in your Feel marketing. Free to run with it. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that. Hey, CJ, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. It's fun. It's fun to catch up with you folks. If you are interested in hunting decoys with decoys, I hope this has been very helpful to you and uh, be sure to check out Montana decoy. They've got a lot of great products there, some great videos on their website and some other good information. So check them out. And uh, hey, CJ, good luck to you the rest of the way this fall. I'm looking forward to seeing some pictures. Same to you guys. I appreciate your time and the chance to be on. I enjoyed it. One of the things that stood out to me in that interview, Mike, was CJ saying that he doesn't always use a decoy. People might assume that because, hey, this is the you know, this is one of the top guys at Montana decoy. Uh, he's going to be using a decoy every single time. And he doesn't, uh, they're a tool. They're like many other tools that we carry in our pack out there, whether it be scents or whether it be grunt calls, can calls, decoys, whatever. He doesn't use one all the time. So he's strategic about it. And I thought that that was a very, uh, truthful and helpful bit of advice from him. Of course, it's, it's just like anything else the right tool in the right hands in the right situation just breeds success, but the wrong tool used at the wrong time is going to breed failure. And a lot of people throw their hands up and say, Oh, these things don't work. So just like anything else that you're going to employ in your strategy or your hunting toolkit, make sure you understand it 
to the best of your ability. And that, and unfortunately, some of that is going to have to come trial and error in your area. But when you figure that out, you'd be surprised how beneficial they can be. I think another thing too, to point out here is I just, I love the versatility of the Montana decoy. Uh, one of the things that there, I'll just be honest, there were many times when I thought I want to use a decoy and the one that I had is big and noisy and it's a lot of work uh, to get it where I need it. And so I would just say, you know what? I don't feel like using it because it's such a pain. It's big and it's bulky and Montana decoy eliminates that. The other thing they do in terms of the lifelike nature of these things, they're photographs of deer. They're not, um, they're just very lifelike. If you take a step back and you look at it now, granted they are paper thin, but as CJ even told the story and I, it just, it, it really made me laugh that where he had a deer trying to m- figure out how to mount that decoy, uh, that is really just, um, like a flat piece of paper. So I just, I think there's a lot of value in the fact that they are so lifelike because they're an image of a deer. Right. They're, they're lightweight. They're, they're very realistic. And like I said, the, the very first deer I killed was over a Montana decoy and uh, with a bow, I should say. Um, but I, I was really pleased. I mean, I've, I've hunted deer in the past, but to be able to steer them to a location and decoy them in and harvest that deer is a very useful thing. And as I said, it's like really great for new hunters, especially, um, children or any, you know, uh, NDAs doing the, the field of fork event. Now I know a lot of those are with crossbows, but de- a decoy can put a deer right where you have an established shooting lane, known distance and take some of the guesswork out of that. And so the, all the deer I killed before using that decoy, you had to make it work. But with that decoy, knowing my shot's going to be right here. And when I took that first one using a decoy, it changed my life. Well, I think as deer hunters, we are often reluctant to try new things. We get set in our ways. And so if you've never tried a decoy, I think a, a Montana decoy is a way to get yourself without investing huge amounts of money to give you uh, to get into it and give it a try. Um, and so don't be afraid to do that. Also, if you have a decoy, it doesn't have to be a Montana decoy, whatever. If you're hunting with decoys or have one available to you and you haven't filled your tag yet, there's still time. Now, CJ did say that the what he felt was the optimum time to be using them is in the, uh, definitely in the pre-rut stage of things. But I can tell you also, I've seen a lot of great activity right up in, uh, during the peak rut, which is where we're at right now. And including the most violent interactions where a buck will come in and just knock down a decoy ready to fight it. So, uh, you can have some really cool interactions. So don't be afraid to get out there right now and still use a decoy. And, uh, speaking of time, Mike, we still have some time left in our archery seasons. Uh, I mentioned just getting back from Kentucky and an NDA hunt that we had there. Um, I'm going to Delaware here in a couple of days to continue my season. You've got buck tags in your pocket as of right now for Pennsylvania and New York. Um, What's your plan here? Well, before I jump into my plan, I just want to say, you know, to finish up your thought on decoys and, and using them into the rut, you know, check your state laws, um, check your seasons as well, realizing that as you get into rifle season and long range shots that you have to have a a certain amount of safety and a certain amount of acknowledging the risk that would go along with that. So, you know, a lot of the discussion we have, we're talking bow seasons, but if your rut is during rifle season, check your local laws and always use safety as your optimum decision maker. But, um, sorry, but with that being said, uh, I am technically in New York a week earlier than normal. My place usually hits, as I said before, between November 7th through the 9th, it gets really hot, but I came up here on a a chance on a flyer buck, um, that, you know, was, was just too good to, to not come up and try and hunt. But, um, I'm going to jump back to Pennsylvania late next week. I got a couple days uh, on the farm that, that you and I hunt uh, together. And there are, as far as we know, still four bucks that we would consider shooters. I have doe tags down there for Pennsylvania as well. So uh, I'm just excited. This is a good time of year. I've been waiting for it. I was kind of slow to start in regards to my season, but now that I'm in it and ready to go, I, I'm the good thing is I'm, I'm rested. I feel good. I feel ready to, to hunt. So mentally I'm in it. So I think that is a plus for me as well. 
Yeah, the mental part of the game is huge. And I was going to mention that. I jotted a note down here to tell people to remind them to stick it out. You might go three days with, without seeing a deer or seeing very little deer activity. And then, and then all of a sudden, boom, it changes just, just like that in a heartbeat. And so you have to keep that mental focus and be as excited after three days of not seeing much as you would be on the first day you went out there uh, because you don't want to blow that opportunity. Uh, I can tell you too, I just, I just, I'm playing a little bit hurt here because I'm tired. I drove, drove back from Kentucky where we were hunting yesterday, a nine hour drive and got in late last night. But I can tell you, I counted well over a hundred deer smashed on the road. Uh, and so it's a reminder deer are moving. They're still mostly moving in the, at the nighttime hours, but this rut is intensifying. There are dead deer everywhere on the road. So be careful out there as well. But that is also a sign to say things are going to really pick up in the deer woods. And I would say that through the early first week in November, it's still been relatively slow, at least in the areas I've been in. But I think you can expect it to really pick up here. We get in through um, this this second full week in November. So it's this is the Super Bowl of deer hunting, uh, to be sure. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to still have that Delaware tag. And Mike, I know you're excited to get back out there, too. I am. I am. So good luck to you and good luck to everybody out there and congratulations because there's been people that have been dropping deer. You know, we've seen some really good bucks come over social media. So, you know, congratulations to all those people as well. Like you said, this is the Super Bowl, and, you know, support everybody, be safe and get excited about it and enjoy because it only comes around once a year. Heck yeah, that's right. It only does come around once a year and the time is now. With that, we'll go ahead and call it a show. This uh, hopefully was helpful to you learning about hunting over decoys. Uh, just another tactic to add to your toolkit. I'll uh, just remind you, if you're not already a member of the National Deer Association, but you listen to this podcast, please consider joining us. Go to DeerAssociation.com. At the very least, at the very least, subscribe to our newsletter. It's free. It comes out every Thursday. has a ton of great information. Uh, we had a great article in the most recent issue uh, about a deer that had gone on an excursion that went exceeded 100 miles so that's pretty darned impressive so we have cool stuff like that in there too that you'll want to check out uh join us subscribe we appreciate it also the to this podcast be sure to tell your buddies about it have them subscribe leave us a uh, note about what you like what you dislike send us your ask nda anything questions and there's a good chance if we if we read it and it's a cool question a fun question we're going to send you a hat as a little prize so uh, with all that said, good luck, everybody out there. Uh, hopefully, if you're on your rutcation, it's going to end well for you. But more than anything, just enjoy the process. Enjoy being out there and appreciate uh, that this is something that you can do freely in this great country of ours. So good luck, everyone. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Take care.